Welcome back and thanks for joining us again. Wendy, towards the end of part one, you talked about the need for two different taxonomies. So one that's looking at the environmental outcomes and driving climate, positive climate change and climate action, and then a separate one for the social outcomes. So I'm going to ask you a really contentious question. Um, which one's more important? So to me, it's actually thinking about what impact does anything that we do in an environmental manner from a climate change perspective, we have to look at the unintended consequences. You know, before the financial crash, none of us probably, unless you're a really great follower of economics, would have heard of black swan events. We've now had the financial crash. We've now had a pandemic. I would never have thought in my lifetime that we would be living through another war. These situations are really, really unusual. And I think we have to really think about what are the unintended consequences? Let's think outside the box, make sure that we bring collective brains together to ensure that every step that we take, we look at through it through the lens of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. There's 17 great goals that have been set up that are global. Everybody knows what they are. It's a universal language. And it's if we look at those goals and we think about the steps that we take and can identify the goals that we're helping, whether it's sustainable cities, whether it's looking at how we reduce poverty, how we reduce hunger. I think it applies to everybody, whether we're sitting in the West or, or whether we're sitting in Europe, you know, the world, it's really important on that sustainable trajectory. Thank you, Wendy. You didn't fall into my trap there, I know. So well done. Um, what about you, Natalia, in terms of which do you think is more important, the social or the environmental outcomes? Well, I guess uh, I got the answer already. So in that sense, I will hope not to fall into the trap unless you are trying to trick us with another twist. But uh, as uh, Wendy gave amazing examples, they are both super important. I feel in a way that the social element has been underplayed. And I think it's, everybody started with climate change as the big thing and started measuring this, but there's much more to it even on the environmental side, which is um, the biodiversity and the water and everything else. But then, as uh, Wendy said, that has consequences in the social and they, each of them kind of feed each other. So, so to me, yeah, they are both needed and none of them, none of them would be able to thrive without the other. So I think uh, in a way, it's maybe that's one of our challenges is that there's a tendency of looking E or S rather than E and S together. And uh, I think where we could benefit is from, from actually having diverse teams that actually can look at, you know, when we look at the transaction, when we look at the problem, we can look at both angles at the same time rather than having the E expert or the S expert, having both experts working together and looking at it as in the in a system way rather than in silos. And I think that's where once you start opening that, you will realize there's no one versus the other. They are both and they need, they are conditions sine qua non. If you don't get the two of them right, you would have lost the game sooner or later. Natalia has hit on one word that is so important to me. Sustainability is not a silo. Environmental, social governance, it is an umbrella that goes across everything. It's really important that we, we consider the impact, whether it's cybercrime that then has a knock-on impact into international wildlife trafficking or you know, modern slavery, human trafficking, all of those aspects, it's all interlinked and we can't just segregate it. We have to look at how it all impacts on each other and that, you know, 
if we're going to tackle the climate change emergency, we have to think about the impact that it has on people's lives. And the aim is to improve people's lives so that they can see the importance of it so they don't do things that will have an impact on the climate. I think we haven't used the magic word, but I'm sure we need to get to it. And that's, I guess, the summary there is really how do we support a just transition, right? And I guess that's that's super important to all of us to make sure that social, social inequality isn't further diversified through trying to transition to a low carbon kind of society. So, yeah. Exactly that. And, and there is a, a great interview by our executive chairwoman, Anna Botan. She did it with Bloomberg just before COP26 and talks exactly to that point. You know, we've come out of the pandemic. How do we do a just transition? How do we look after people? If, as we're a global bank thinking about, you know, somebody in Mexico who actually is struggling to even have a home, and we're talking about climate change. How do we make that possible? How do we support them in those, those aspects of it? And there's some great things that are going on. You know, you, in the UK, you have the community interest companies. We've got great examples of wind farms that we've supported that actually all of the profits go back into the communities. And I think we need to use that, that framework a lot more to support businesses. And then if you read in the paper this morning, there's a great example of a business that has come together to share electric vehicle charges. One of the biggest headaches that we are all considering as to what happens if you live in a flat, how are you going to charge your vehicle? What's going to happen? But if you can find a community way to actually build together with regards to these electric vehicle charges, then it's going to make a big, big difference. So that just transition is firmly built into everything that we do. Great to hear, Wendy. And I guess just thinking about it from the other point of view, then the topic of greenwashing is all over the place at the moment. And, and we know we're seeing very directional um, point of view from the regulator and particularly the FCA in the UK being clear that they're looking to um, put policies in place on that topic. Is it something that concerns you? Very much so. You know, credibility, uh, our licence to be here is really important. And we have to understand exactly what we're doing from the greenwashing. And that's why the classification system is so important. So we understand exactly. And we understand why a business is wanting to do certain things if we're to support them. We have to understand the full strategy of the business on that sustainability journey. Um, but yeah, greenwashing. And I think on the other program as well, we, they talked about green wishing. I think that's vitally important because we've got to get to make sure that promises are made, are adhered to, and that they actually go in the right direction. Things will change. So we have to make sure that we understand exactly the reasons why we're doing things today. So we can explain them in the future if somebody questions them, but there will be transitions. There will be amazing technology that will come along somebody might say with hindsight well, why did you do that but if we've got the framework today we can explain it exactly but you know greenwashing sustainability washing it is very much on our lens that we make sure that we understand that very clearly that it is a big big risk to us all thank you and natalia from your work with clients i know that you regularly talk to them about the topic of of greenwashing and kind of how they're trying to address some of their concerns in that area. Is there anything that you wanted to add? Yes, actually, you know, 
I think most of the times that people talk about greenwashing is on these negative lenses where maybe someone is trying to arbitrage it, is like trying to get to look like you are green without looking green. But one of my concerns, and that's why we at Baringa are really working and focusing on greenwashing, is not because we believe people are inherently bad and deliberate trying to actually arbitrage the system, is because it's a new asset class, it's a new way of thinking. And I think there's greenwashing that can happen just by lack of knowledge, by that moving landscape going so fast that you are trying to catch up. And that's where we, we really want to focus and we are already focusing on working together and understanding and challenging ourselves and challenging with our clients to really understand what greenwashing, because in a way, the last thing you want is doing greenwashing by not purposely doing greenwashing. I think the purposed wrongly greenwashing, that's something that in a way you can address very easily. The regulator will come, they will crack it down and they will put a fine. But it's about changing the culture and learning and shifting the people mindset to actually go to the right journey. And that's not always, I think more often than not, is done by not knowing rather by trying to actually arbitrage the system. So that's what I think is very important to to be conscious, it's, this, it's almost an unconscious bias when you are doing greenwashing, you are not even realizing you are doing it. And that's what you really want to avoid. And how, do you have any guidance for people almost in terms of when they're thinking about how not to have that unconscious bias? What is it you'd suggest they do to kind of open their minds to all of the issues and challenges and, and to, to understand as much as they possibly can? I mean, is, is there any specific guidance you'd have to them to support them? Yeah, I think I, mean, I think there's two guidances. Obviously, if you are in financing, you want to be looking at people like the LMA and you want to understand how they look at it. You want to look at the climate bond initiatives. That's on the technical aspect. But I think even moving farther than that, you know, uh, when, uh, when you start in banking, one thing they tell you is, well, don't do something that you wouldn't want to be shown in the, in the FT. And that's actually, you know, it's almost like a moral compass that you can use it for tax schemes, you can use it for accounting. It's, you know, I think it's a lot of, you don't know, but it's a lot of questioning yourself, you know, how would, how would someone else look at it from the outside? Am I thinking it the right way? It's about talking to other people, it's about reading, it's about, you know, even if we look at now Ukraine, there's a big debate with the arms and the defense, right? So maybe your view two years ago, would you finance arms? Maybe it would be quite black and white. Then the question, maybe would you help defense? It's slightly different. And maybe now people would have a potential different answer than they had even like three months ago. So it's about deeply thinking and obviously looking at guidance and best practice in the market. And I think on that point as well, education is key. Really understanding. And we see examples of where people are objecting to whether it be wind farms or solar panels or or new inventions and I think what's what we have to do is collectively work together is find a way to educate people so that people can understand the reasons why it's being done what the benefits are I think if you take the, what happened with the zero emissions zone in London the low emissions zone in London when it got extended that had a big impact on people's lives, especially as we we're coming out of the pandemic and people still wanting to travel by cars rather than by tube, as to how it looks on the demographics of the people and everything. And it was the right thing to do because it has an impact on people's health 
as well as removing cars that are emitting too many CO2 emissions and all the other emissions that come from those vehicles. But we need to educate people why it's important because actually a lot of low-income families will be living very close to those roads where the, those CO2 emissions are creating bad air quality and it's those, protecting those young people. So sometimes we'll have to make some really hard choices and we have to explain why those hard choices are being made because actually in the long term the health of the people that we're trying to protect will be far better than if we don't. So it's a long trajectory and things like this podcast are really, really important because hopefully people will get an understanding as to why we're doing these things and why they're so important. So I was um, reflecting a bit further about how to avoid greenwashing. And I think it's a bit uh, also, I said, let's look at the principles and, and what is out there, but it's also going further and not looking just, it's the form versus the substance, right? So you can take all the principles, but you also need to look harder and get to know your clients. So what type of company are you actually trying to help? What are the ambitions? What are the expectations? How do they want to go in that sustainability journey? And that's equally as important as actually making sure you structure a deal that ticks every single checklist. It's looking a bit wider into almost due diligence your, uh, your client. And not due diligence as an exam, but actually helping that client to actually transition into where they do think they should be going. And that's such a brilliant point because those businesses that are doing this well are those that have got board representation. You've got remuneration attached to those sustainable goals through the sustainability plan, that it has been shared right through all the, the organization and everyone's bought into it so that you could go to a, a business and go and speak to them and speak to whether it's somebody who works in the transport department or somebody who works in the factory, that they would actually be saying, these are our goals and we really understand it. And that's when you know when the sustainability strategy is there because it's in the DNA of the business rather than it's in the prospectus of a business because they know that's what the investors wish to say. That's a really interesting point. And Wendy, you talked a little bit there and, and a little bit earlier about some of the trade-offs between environmental and social outcomes and actually balancing needs of maybe the few versus the needs of the masses. And kind of your wind farm example is a, a great example of that. Um, I just wondered for you and for the organisations you're working with, how are you balancing the trade-offs between, I guess, the, the three key critical factors, which is driving positive social outcomes, kind of improving our environmental footprint and, and, and I suppose saving the planet, but also driving economic outcomes, because that's a tricky one to balance. And, and a lot of decisions have really historically been made based upon the economics without so society and, and the planet being considered at all. It's a really great question, Emily. And actually, Natalia worked with me to pull together some training for our colleagues. And we have this great slide that I've spoken to earlier about the physical and the transition risks. But underpinning that is the impacts on the businesses. And one of them is actually, what happens if you don't change? What happens if you don't take these important steps, whether it be from the societal or whether it be from the green element? is actually other businesses will be doing so. So you'll lose your consumers, you'll lose whoever you're selling to. That will have an eventual impact on your profitability. And then if you suddenly decide, ah, oh, I've actually got to do something, 
you actually won't have the profits to be able to pay for it or you won't be able to perhaps sell your business because your business doesn't have any value or you've actually stranded your assets because you haven't actually taken steps to move towards protecting it against um, flooding or from the rising energy costs. So all of these impacts really do actually come down to the P&L at the end of the day. And if you're not doing the right things, as I said earlier, you know, you're not going to be able to attract the talent and the people that you want to work in your business because they'll have gone and said, well, actually, I've got a choice of two businesses and this one's got a great purpose and they're doing all the right things. And I want to be with them and I want to be with them on the journey, whereas this other business isn't. So I think it, it is it's an extremely hard balancing act. It's never been so more difficult in all our careers, actually. I think, how do you balance it all up to do the right things, to make sure that you've got a sustainable business and to protect the environment? And especially with all the other things that are going on at the moment. But I think we have to take this as an opportunity to say, gosh, there are rising energy costs, but actually we could use this as an opportunity to bite the bullet and actually think about how we're going to look after our premises, look after our infrastructure, think about solar panels, whether it's some form of um, hydrogen um, type of energy and think about how we're going to move forward. And I think there's an element of actually who wants to be a first mover. Everyone wants, we've seen what happened when, you know, we first saw renewable energy, the importance of the feed-in tariffs. What a great impact that had of kick-starting that sector. And perhaps there needs to be something more like that, that will help businesses be brave and say, actually, I will take the plunge and start moving and start doing the right things for my business to protect it for the future. I guess that leads me on probably to my final question, actually, Wendy, for you. And then we'll, we'll come to Natalia. Um, feels like a great place to ask it. But if you could click your fingers and get to the perfect state, what role would you and Santander be playing in the sustainability ecosystem? If I could click my fingers, that means that I'd have done my job. I'd be out of work <laughs> um, because everybody would have sustainability in their DNA. Everybody would be looking at this through the lenses that we've talked about earlier. And really, it would just be part of everybody's business proposition that they're looking at how can they make the lives better from an environmental perspective, from a social perspective and great governance, protecting everybody in there. I think to be able to get there on that trajectory, what's really important is the education. Um, I don't want to be the last person to have seen polar bears or to seen the penguins down in the Antarctic and, and people can only see them from my photographs. I really think it's really important that we, we help people on these journeys. So clicking my fingers, it would be that we are having those really, really great conversations, working with great partner companies like yourselves in supporting our businesses and helping them on this really difficult journey. Because if we don't, we won't get there. There's a great quote from Christiana Fogueres, and let me read it to you because I just think it's important. The planet has been around for four and a half billion years. She was perfectly happy before we ever got here. And she will be perfectly happy if we are idiots enough to push, pull the ejector seat and leave. I don't want to be the one who's ever responsible for that ejector seat. 
I want to be one of those people who's working with everybody collectively to try and make a contribution on this journey that we support everybody so we protect this planet for the generations to come. It sounds like your answer is you want to do yourself out of a job and spend more time photographing wildlife. Is that, is that a fair summary? Uh, if we ever got there, yeah. But I love my job. I am so blessed to be, to be given this opportunity to do this job. Fantastic. And Natalia, for you, is there anything you'd like to see if you could click your fingers and get to a perfect state? Wow, that's a big question and even bigger after uh, Wendy's uh, response. So yeah, I think I would like to see a more uh, equalitarian society. You know, I think uh, it's still too much difference between people who can't afford, people who happen to be in the right place at the right time versus people who didn't. And the word the people who weren't at the right place at the right time need to do to get to the minimum standards is too much. So I think that's that's the bit that you want to see more of. You know, it's, I think that's the bigger piece that I would want to see. And as Wendy said, you almost want to be in a place where, as I said before, there's no sustainable finance or sustainable management of business. They are all sustainable and you that's business as usual. And we are helping businesses, but we are helping businesses not as, as an specialist, as, as mainstream, because all businesses are already looking at the same goals and are supporting the sustainable development goals. Thanks, Natalia. Wendy, Natalia, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to draw it to a close there. Your passion absolutely shines through and it's been a pleasure spending this time with you. Oh, thank you so much, Emily. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. <laughs>